You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling and cousin of the pod, Chris Trevino. I'm excited for this one, guys. It's our final off-season pod, if you will. We have a game to cover in a couple days, so I'm very excited. So, of course, we're going to have to preview USC season opener against ASU. We'll be sharing our expectations for the game, and we'll be talking about Chris Trevino's bold predictions for the season. We get the exclusive having Mr. Trevino on the pod talking about his bold predictions. Such a brand for him, uh, also known as Chrissy T's Bold Peas. Yes, I'm very proud of that awkward name. We'll also be talking about our most important series. It's coming to an end on Friday. Who is most important for USC to have a great 2020 season? We'll get into that. And, of course, we're going to talk about season predictions and superlatives. A lot of guessing on this pod. We're going to give our best shot at what we think USC's 2020 season is going to look like. And then we will finish the pod with our game predictions. How is this one going to go on Saturday? That was a mouthful, guys. Like I said, we have a lot to talk about, but first off, I'm actually going to go into some breaking news that happened right before we started recording. The Cal and Washington game is canceled. It's the first Pac-12 game that is canceled of the season, and the season hasn't really kicked off yet for the conference. Shotgun, I know you and I had talked on instant analysis about how uh, the margin for error for the Pac-12 is so small. Is there even a margin for error? Now uh, both teams will have a no contest for this game. It's it's a tough schedule if you're in the Pac-12 and, and you thought testing would help out the conference, but you already have a, a snafu before week one is officially underway. Yeah, I mean, you look at it in the, the talk before the season on Pac-12 Media Day is, can a Pac-12 team get into the college football playoff? I think if you lose any games, you're, you're pretty much out. I think seven is probably the minimum you're going to have a chance, and that's still you're going to need some help as well along, along the route. But, you know, you look at this, and this is a big game to, for the Pac-12 to lose because these are two of the three teams at the top of the Pac-12 North. You know, I think that Oregon is susceptible to a, to a team knocking them off this year with a lot of the changes and personnel that they have. And it was going to have to be one of these two teams, Washington or Cal. Now they lose a big game where they're going to be playing, would have been playing each other. So now there's some big question marks going forward. You know, if one of them beats or uh, if one of them beats Oregon uh, or if Oregon loses a game, how does that kind of shape up with the tiebreakers? There's a lot of stuff that now goes into the the potential of the Pac-12 North. And, you know, it just shows how quickly things can change because, you know, yesterday, right before we did our tunnel vision show, uh, our live show, we found out, oh, they have one positive test, and they were going to check, and there's going to be some contact tracing. And now today, they're down to the threshold at, at either either they're below the 53-player threshold or below a certain uh, at certain positions the threshold that Pac-12 had set. So that's why they're having to cancel this game. So you can see how quickly things can change. And Clay Helton even talked about it a little bit this morning of, you know, they've been on guys, and, hey, we're super excited about the game this weekend. But we got to continue to focus on, on, you know, following the protocols, making sure you're wearing your mask, following all the details, because one person slips up and suddenly you can have, a, you know, the entire team is sitting at home on Saturday instead of playing. I thought we were going to jump off with something fun, and now we have to talk about this. So my energy is already all wonky here. But, yeah, I, my heart goes out to, you know, the Cal and Washington players. That must be just a huge mental blow just to – work through all of this, this whole offseason back and forth. Are we going to play? Aren't we going to play? And have their game, you know, called for a no contest is, is, is devastating. And yeah, like Shotgun said, it's a little bit ominous because Helton was asked about this early this morning about, you know, are you worried seeing, you know, like a team like Cal get a positive test? And, you know, he said the same thing. Got to stay disciplined. I'm not saying it should be a wake-up call because I'm sure everybody has been taking this very seriously, but it is a big less talking point for him. Like, hey, look, a game just got canceled because of this one positive test. Stay on it. Be diligent. Wear your mask. Do social distancing. And he mentioned we need all these games to build this resume so we can't take any chances. Let's keep doing what we've been doing. Keely, you're the numbers girl with these COVID tests. They've been doing really well uh, since they started testing, so they just got to keep that going. 
Yeah, they had a streak of six consecutive weeks without a positive test as far as the the student-athletes go, not just USC's football team. They have had a couple of positives. They've had two weeks of one positive, and last week was two positives. And you're hoping that's not a positive trend, but it just goes to show how fragile the situation is. You know, we're all talking about, hey, the Pac-12 championship, will we even get there? You know, it's it's nothing is a guarantee, and just because you have this the Quidel testing doesn't mean you're, you're bulletproof. So... It's a tricky situation, and you hope that this is an outlier rather than a pattern for the conference. I think when you look at this, it, you, you talk about USC's been really good as far as the football program and hasn't had any positive tests. Well, Cal, this kind of broke a streak, a long streak for them. I think it had been back to September since they had had a positive test in their, I don't know if it was athletic department or football team, but you know they had had a you know long stretch where they had been really good and had zero positive tests, and then suddenly one of them – you know, you know, turns everything the other way and suddenly they're not going to be playing on Saturday. Well, moving on to what we're going to cover this weekend, ASU versus USC. You know, we talked so much this offseason about just the team in general. It's nice to get kind of specific into the game. As far as ASU's quarterback, Jaden Daniels, Shotgun, you asked Helton on Thursday about containing Daniels, a quarterback USC hasn't played before. What did he have to say? Yeah, one of the things I was interested in is, you know, is USC going to do something different with mobile quarterbacks, guys that, that Jaden Daniels isn't necessarily a running quarterback, he's not a dual threat uh, per se, but he can move the chains with his legs. He does have speed and stuff, but he looks to pass first. But guys that escape the pocket, USC's really struggled with the quarterbacks that get outside the pocket and then make plays, whether it be taken off to run or just to buy extra time and then things come open in the, in the back half uh, of things on the defensive side. So, you know, what is USC doing differently under Todd Orlando? They have a game plan for that. And one of the things uh, that Clay Helton said is that they're really studying the tendencies of quarterbacks. He said basically every quarterback has a, a unique way of getting outside of the pocket, whether it be stepping up straight forward, whether it be, you know, going rolling out to one side or the other, other or trying to figure out how they, you know, get out of the pocket. You know, everyone kind of has their unique way of going about it, and they, they have tendencies. And so they're studying that. They're also studying does a quarterback slide. You know, when he takes his eyes down to see the pass rush, does he then get his eyes back up and, and look downfield? Or is, you know, is he looking to run? Does he try to get out of bounds? Or does he try to tiptoe the sideline and get those extra yards? You know, those are all things they're looking at with quarterbacks. And, you know, he was very complimentary. He's been complimentary to Jaden Daniels all week, as was Todd Orlando when we spoke to him. You know, Jaden Daniels is, you know, probably the best quarterback USC is going to face this season. Uh, depending on you know if they make the Pac-12 championship, you know if they see Chase Garbers, maybe he's in that conversation. But I, I think Jaden Daniels is is an elite talent and is going to be a draft pick in a couple of years as well, along with Keaton Slovis. So this is a great matchup for anyone watching quarterback play. Daniels it, it can throw an elite deep ball, but he can also, like we talked about, continue to move the chains with his legs if he needs to. He can get outside the pocket, keep things alive. Not going to take off running but more like Sam Darnold, keep it alive and then try to make some magic happen. Yeah, it's an interesting combination with having a mobile quarterback, a guy that can move, like you just said, with Jaden Daniels, with this new offensive scheme that they bring with Zach Hill and Boise State. A lot of misdirection, a lot of shifting, a lot of play action. It was described over on Arizona State's uh, site as like a close-up magic show. You know, you got to <laughs> – it's, uh, it's a little misdirection. You're looking over here, but then the play is going over here. So I like that that comparison for it. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting that when you put a mobile quarterback like that with an offense that's designed to kind of trick you and, and mess you up going against a brand new defense, that's going to be, I think the biggest uh, key factor for uh, USC here. And that is the type of offense that USC's really struggled with in, in the past, you know, misdirection, they, you know, Iowa ate them up with misdirections and end arounds and things. Uh, so I'm curious to see how well, and that comes back to just doing your job. You can't do too much on every play. You got to make sure you're doing your assignment and taking care of what you're being tasked to do. So, how well has the USC, you know, defensive staff, you know, pushed that on the players and got them into ingrained where just do my job, focus on that, take care of that, and the rest will take care of itself. Or do we see, you know, USC over pursuing things and trying to be overactive and being hyped up because the first game and suddenly there's a reverse going the other way for a touchdown. 
I thought it was interesting talking to Orlando this week. It sounds like they're trying to be really cognizant about where their team is at individually, like player by player, about how well they're digesting digesting the scheme and how well they know their assignments. He was basically saying that sometimes practice film can look a little bit prettier. Uh, they can look better than what they actually know as far as assignment goes. So I thought it was interesting that they're really trying to make sure and talk to everyone to to know that you're not just getting a, a rosier picture of a player than maybe you would just by watching some cut-ups of, of, the, of the guy on the field. Yeah, fans can watch my tape of this Family Feud podcast, but when Keely and Shotgun get in the, in the film room later, they're going to be like, man, Chris didn't know what he was doing out there. He was just, <laughs> he was just running around with a chicken, cut his head off. With a chicken with his head cut off, not a chicken that cut its own head off. I need that clarified. See? Just like that. You're going to go back in the film and like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Orlando was talking about how, you know, they 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 need guys to do stuff that's uncommon. You need Pali and Itiote and Talano Hufunga were on the call at the same time. You need those heavy hitters, your dudes. You need to make sure you're giving them every opportunity to make big plays and putting them in the right position. But it has to be a collective effort rather than guys going outside the system and trying to get outside their gaps or try to do too much uh, and, and try to over-pursue and whatnot. So uh, it comes back to the coaches saying, okay, how do we focus our top players and, and put them in position to make plays rather than them trying to go outside and, and do too much? So in that sense, just from learning the scheme assignment-wise, is it better that you had longer time to digest it because of this weird off season or does it hurt you more that you haven't had maybe as much time to actually practice it that you'd probably like? Well, that's what he also talked about is that the mental aspect of it pretty much they're ahead of the game. You felt like just getting all that extra time with them because, you know, in spring they'd also have to go on the road recruiting then they have to come back. Uh, or in the, in the summer when they do the camp circuit. But he said, you know, this whole time they've been able to just study, study, study. And I talked to a defensive player where they were like, we installed the scheme like three times over. They really hit us over the head with it. We, we pretty much did it three times individually every time we were out there. So it's like you were learning the same thing over and over to really get it to stick in your head. So in that sense, he felt they were ahead of the curve. That is Orlando, uh, what he said uh, uh, the other day. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, they, they felt like once they got into camp, they had had the middle side down. They had the chalkboard stuff down. They just needed to go out and see the players run and hit and, and be able to do it without hesitation. So they actually were, were really excited about where they were mentally with the defense coming into camp and felt that they could, you know, be able to attack things a lot quicker than they would have been, you know, in a normal year because of all the, the camps and the, you know, the recruiting and stuff they would have been doing. They felt they were a little bit farther advanced mentally, but now you got to put it together, mental plus the physical, and do it on game day, and that's going to be a little bit different. So we'll be watching to see if they do that on Saturday. We had, once again from Clay Helton, another raving review of Palaie Na Ote Ote. Uh, Shotgun, you asked Clay Helton, hey, is there anyone we should watch for that, since we can't see practice uh, that we should pay attention to? <laughs> and Clay Helton mentioned EA like we haven't already heard the amount of hype he's gotten this whole offseason. Uh, Chris, I know I have picked Shotgun's brain about this. At what point is it overhype? I mean, is this getting into dangerous territory where EA, you're going to see him be like, well, I mean, there's so much hype. Does he really live up to it? Yeah, we're entering that territory of we're right on the edge right now. I feel like a little bit more. If, if Clay Helton makes a 6 a.m. morning statement about Pal EA, then it's done. Then we're blowing it all open and it's just going to be a terrible season. But yeah, I, I'm cautiously excited. I mean, we you're going to see it in my predictions probably. I'm sure someone will bring it up. But I'm cautiously excited about Palaia just because I saw him in high school. I know that potential. Everything we're hearing is great. The weight, the finishing plays, the getting off blocks, all that is great. But, again, we haven't seen anything. I need to see it for myself. But that doesn't mean I don't have, like, $2 million worth of stock of Palaia stock in the back right now. I got it. I'm holding it. You guys want, you want in? So you took all your tight end stock and put it in EA is what you're saying. Oh, I still got tight end stock. How much, how much money do you have to, to Listen, put in all again, the stock? I don't, again, I mentioned it last week. I don't need to tell you about my investors. I don't need to tell you where my, my, my money comes in. Just don't worry about it. But when you see me on, when you see me living in the penthouse, you know, you can, you can call me up and maybe we can talk deals. All right, Shotgun? I feel like there's a money laundering scheme going on here somewhere. All right, I got to uh, go. That's it. I got to go. I'll see you guys later. 
I think this is a great time to buy Palia Natiote stock, though. Uh, obviously, his stock is declined from being five-star number one, uh, you know, defensive player in the country coming out of high school. That his stock is definitely not there coming into fall camp, but it's on the rise from what we're hearing. And now, if we see it, you know, this is like an investor trying to push you and say, "Hey, you got to get this one. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one." And you don't want to you don't want to get in too late on this one. I feel like a lot of positive things. One of the biggest things that to me is talking about the relationship with Todd Orlando. And, and yeah, I think he's pushing him a lot more, but listening to Orlando talk about the specifics of what he's doing differently. The fact that he's being able to shed those blocks, he's taking on the offense lineman, getting off those blocks and then going to making plays. I think that's huge. That's something that has the linebackers at USC have struggled with uh, at times a lot in the last few years. So I think if that's what he's doing, I think that's going to make him, he's going to be an even bigger playmaker He's not just taking up that blocker and making someone else go make the play. He's getting rid of the blocker and going to making the play himself. So if he does that on Saturday, expect some big things out of Palaiutote for the rest of the season as well. We got a final injury update list from Clay Helton on Thursday. Pretty positive per his report. Now, <laughs> Clay Helton's injury reports have been kind of hit or miss uh, this whole training camp, so take it with a grain of salt. But he did say uh, that uh, both Marquis Step and Vivai Malapai are available. Uh, Kanai Malga is expected to get time, as well as Drake Jackson is ready to go. Shotgun, I know you read into each word Clay Helton said after each player. Maybe that will give us, you're reading the tea leaves very uh, strongly right now. What does your, your gut say about each player uh, and each update we got? Yeah, the, the, the four guys that, that he talked about, he said Vi's doing well, will be available for the game. Said the same for Marquis Step. He said Drake Jackson is ready to go. He said Kanai is a full go. So it was a little different for each one. It wasn't like, oh yeah, these are four guys. You know, we got them back in practice this week, and they're all good to go. They're, they'll, you know, they'll suit up on Saturday. We expect them all to play. No, it was unique wording for each one. So you, you take a little pause, and especially because we're just not seeing practice, we don't get to say, you know, we don't get to see, hey, how's Vi walking in and out of practice? It looked like he's got a limp or not. You know, we just had to go off what Clay Helton. So we're trying to break down each individual word nowadays just to try to figure out what's going on. You know, it the thing with Clay Helton's injury updates is there's oftentimes so some uh, some omissions that you know either he doesn't think about or he doesn't think are important enough to to inform us of. And then suddenly on game day, someone's just not suited up. So Saturday, are we going to look over there and be like? Oh, yeah, what happened to that guy? Did he break his leg or something? Oh, wait, because there was a broken leg at practice this week with a walk-on running back. That has not been mentioned by anybody. Now, granted, it is a walk-on, but that is a significant injury. You would say that, you know, we're giving our thoughts and prayers or something to this player that, you know, has broken his leg and had to undergo surgery. That would be nice to hear from your head coach or something. I don't know. But you, you'll be looking and going, okay, is there a defensive lineman that's not suited up? Is there a linebacker we expected to be there and is not? Those are the type things we'll be looking for in warm-ups at 7 a.m. bright and early Saturday morning. Yeah, the will be available is very fishy to me, but you hit all of those points. I was available for dates all through high school, but I never got any. So let's let's take it with a grain of salt there. Did you dress out and, <laughs> and go to the restaurant, get some warm-ups in, and then, and then not sit down and eat, Chris? Oh yeah, you, you practice. You know how you look in the mirror. You you do the you do the chair pulls. You, you're just warming up, baby. Just getting out there. You do the you know the chair pulls, the corsage. Door, that, that's a little opens. too much. For, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the the opening lines, the the opening questions. You know, I I, I stayed ready because you never know what happens. You know, you never know when your number will <laughs> when get that called. one or that two or that three goes down. Number four is right there. You know, it's true. It's true. very similar to USC last year with Vi Malapai and Stephen Carr dressing out before games, going through warmups, and then suddenly they're on the sideline without pads on. That's me sending the cordian pizza. That's me. <laughs> so okay, if I had to guess here, based on uh, Heltonisms, I think Vi and Step will be dressed out but won't do anything, or maybe Vi will get like a fluky three carries at the end of the game. Shotgun doesn't believe me. Is I'm going with this. I think Kanai will get maybe 15 snaps, and then Drake will be full go. Drake will actually play. That's my guess. That's my Heltonism read. What did you get for step? Dressed out. Yeah, I I think that's accurate. I don't think I was really 
like not in on the possibility of of Steph playing just because it seemed like every day he had a new injury. Oh, he's got the foot <laughs> sprain. Oh, he's got the toe injury. Oh, we had to amputate it and he's getting a peg leg put in, but he's still a possibility to suit up. It's just all these things that keep building on each other. You need I want that guy 100% healthy, so I'm like okay with him sitting, but don't like keep saying like, "Oh, he I think he's going to play." No, it is definitely you, you kind of wonder how much those running backs, uh, you, because they haven't done much leading up to this week, how much will they be used? How much, much will you want to push them to use them if they're not 100%? Because you still feel like you're comfortable with your depth with Stephen Carr uh, and the fall camp that we've heard that he's had and Keenan Kristen there. So if you feel comfortable with those guys, you're not going to push by and step to do too much. Maybe you see them for a couple drives and kind of test it out and see where they're at. That might be something you see a drive in the first half where they get, and then after three or four plays, yay or nay, do we continue with them going forward? Kanai, I think he's not going to play a ton of plays. Uh, I don't think he's going to play a full load of plays because I think he's going to be splitting time with Raylan Goforth. I think Goforth is going to earn that start, um, and I think that depending on how he plays early in the game may determine whether or not you need to see Kanai more or less in, in the rest of the game. Chris, Shotgun has decided to get on the Raylan Goforth train. I just don't know if you have any room on the bandwagon. Like, are you on a Raylan moped? What's the deal? How are you feeling for uh, where Raylan is going to be on Saturday? Yeah, it was originally a mini coupe, but I've had since to upgrade it to a small mid-sized minivan. So I have the room. I have the space. I, I'm thinking Raylan's going to be the starter, and I think he's going to hold that for a minute. So, yeah, Shotgun, you want to get in on this this mom band? Get in here. Get in here, baby. I just want to point out that I've been a Raylan Goforce fan since the the QB Elite 11 when he got Trent Dill for mad. So it's not like I'm jumping on now. This is this is a kid that I've really liked for you know three or four years now. You know, and the fact that USC ends up with him, you know, I expected him to play more last year. You know, especially the positive returns and the positive things the coaches were saying about him in fall camp, and then suddenly it was like, why are you not getting him in there for a little rotation? Um, so I, I'm 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 on Raylan Goforth already. I ain't gotta jump on anything. I'm already oh. cruising in the back seat. Okay, yeah, backseat, you and me, tandem bike, baby, for the last three or four years. Let's go. Let's get that bells going. Let's go. Maybe you were just asleep in the back shotgun. That's why. Like, Chris was awake at the wheel, vocal about it. You were just like, I'm, in the doing, back. All, I'm doing all I'm doing all the pedaling. Yeah, I think that's, like, that's cool. I'm lazy. That's that's cool. I'm okay with it. I'll just I'll honk the horn. Honk, honk. You know, whatever. Thanks for the demonstration of you honking. <laughs> You're taking it. Uh, yes! Visual fit. Visual fit. Chris's uh, horrible pet peeve of doing visual bits on an audio medium. Anyway, I'm going to wrap up this little segment because it's going to bleed into our next segment, which is Chris Trevino's bold predictions, Chrissy T's bold peas. Now, Chris, you're going to run down each 10, and Shock and I are going to weigh in. Is it bold or is it a cold take? Take it away. And what is the definition of cold in the sense? Like you hate it or you don't think it's going to be true or is bold like you're backing it? What I just need to differentiate. Ooh, that's a great point. Bold means, yeah, it can happen or it's you, you kind of can specify when you speak on it. Or cold means, nah, whatever. That's, that's just a bad prediction. Okay, there we go. Now that I've gotten in Keeley's head, let's, let's jump into these, these bad boys. <laughs> Keaton Slovis throws for at least 300 yards in every regular season game. I'm saying cold based on the fact that I don't think it's going to happen against ASU. I, I completely disagree. This is bold. I think it's going there. I think the year two uh, of Keaton Slovis in this offense, I think he's taking the next steps, listening to the DBs talk about him. I think he's going to put up huge numbers this year, especially once you get past Arizona State. Now, Arizona State, good, good uh, secondary some solid defensive linemen that USC is going to have to contend with. If they keep him upright on the offensive line, he's going to put up big numbers just like he did last year before getting injured in that Arizona State game. Um, and after that, the rest of the defenses are boo-boo. He's going to put up huge numbers the rest of the season. That's what I'm saying. I'm just I'm negating it just because I don't think he can do it in every single regular season game. There's going to be some wonky COVID result or an injury, knock on wood, you don't want that on anyone, or you can't do it against ASU. So I'm, I'm going cold on this one. ASU, who he threw for 432 yards against last year. 
Yes, but don't count out the power of Chris Hawkins, Shotgun. That's all I'm going to say. New defense coordinator, co-coordinators, you know, Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce. Yeah, there's some possibilities there that things can be different, but I think that, that he's going to get to that mark. we got to move on, guys, because you're taking a lot of time on that one. But Shotgun, I appreciate, I appreciate the love there. Brew McCoy named Pac-12 Offensive Freshman of the Year, or that Newcomer Award, whatever it's called. Considering that you wrote about me in your answer for this uh, bold prediction, I'm going to say bold, taking it. Let's go, Brew McCoy. I just don't know that there's anyone else that's even going to be comparable with him as long as he has anywhere close to what we think is. So it's a little cold that it's not too bold, but he's not a quarterback. So there's a couple quarterbacks in this league that could potentially get that, could be in that mix as well. So I will go bold on this one. Yeah, I think the big competitor right now is the Washington State kid. True freshman just named the starter. If he puts up, if they have like a, a decent season, puts up some numbers in that in that run and gun, I think he could be the the leader for that. But if USC runs the table and Brew puts up impressive numbers, I think he'd be in one of those driver's seats. That that was my thinking there. You said I might have traded in all my tight end stock, but not here. Uh, double the tight end production from last season, so that's roughly 30 catches, 290 yards, and two touchdowns. And I spiced it up. And that Jude Wolf will be the leader in yards and touchdowns. The little extra spice on the end makes it a little bold. However, it's cold in the fact that you didn't do it by per game. You know, 30 receptions over six games. You think the tight ends are getting five catches a game? You know, maybe they get to that seventh game. We'll see. Uh, I, I think it's a little cold on on that side. If you if you do it over per game versus what they did last year, then yeah, I think they'll do that. But you know, for the season, comparing those numbers to last year, I, I think it's a little a little cold there. I'm still confused about the parameters of when we say bold and when we say cold, but just go with it, Keely. Stop <laughs> complaining. No, I got in her head. She's overthinking everything. I love it. I, oh, I, have I, you met me? I overthink everything. Yes. You know, I'm gonna say this is bold in the sense that I don't think USC meets that stat threshold. But I'm actually going to go with you on the Jude Wolf bit. So basically the opposite of shotgun. <laughs> it's not a bit. It's a fact. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, Drake London leads the wide receiver unit in touchdowns. That is a bold prediction it's that I bold. think is cold uh, as far as coming to, to reality. I don't th- I'm on Ross A. Brown. Um, I, I know that Keaton Slovis – like to throw those big guys on the outside, but I'm on I'm on Ross St. Brown's gonna have a monster year. All right. Well when he leaves the team with whatever how many touchdowns, I want a tweet apology from both of you. I I offer no apologies ever. <laughs> That's true. You can make a case for anyone to, to lead in touchdowns. Which I guess is a good point for USC. You have so many weapons, but I just don't think out of all of those, Drake will be the one. We'll see. All right. Be on the wrong side of history. That's fine. I actually like this one. The brothers, Tui Pelotu, combined for at least six sacks on the year. This is, uh, this is, it has a stronger possibility of happening than the fish market combining for six sacks, mm-hmm. but I feel like it would be very similar. This is going to be a lot of Marlon Tui Pelotu versus Tuli. Tuli maybe get one, maybe two. I don't, I don't see, I don't see this one coming true, so I'm going cold. I'm going bold. I've heard from both coaches and players that they're high on Tuli. All you need is like a, one or two from him, and then you put your rest of your hopes on Marlon. I'm going. So does this mean it's cold? Because I agree with it. Someone explained to me. No, it's bold. You think it's bold? You like it? Okay, it's bold. Keely's really struggling here. Bold means positive. Cold means negative. Okay, but I can make a case for the opposite as well. But sounds good. Chris Steele takes the mantle as the team's best cornerback. Shotgun, I already know what you're going to say. So just get it out the way first. I'm going cold. I got Elijah Griffin, my guy. He's, he's going to put up big numbers. That's fine. That's fine. I... I'm like actually buying stock on Chris Steele this season. Because when I had to write the most important for Chris Steele, I was like, you know what? Someone needs to put some respect on his name. So I'm going to go bold. I agree, Chris. I don't think Chris Steele allows anyone not to put respect on his name. Just saying. Keaton, Kristen, and Gary Bryant Jr. each score a touchdown of at least 40 yards. This one's hard because I don't know how much Gary Bryant Jr.'s injury delayed where he would be right now as far as, like, breaking out and, and worthy of getting more playing time. 
Um, not that USC has a ton at wide receiver right now. I'm going to say cold. I think, I, I don't know. I, that puts a lot of faith in the USC offense to have two 40-yard-plus plays. Just saying. I don't think it's a bold prediction. I think it comes true because I think Gary Bryant Jr. gets his on special teams. I think Sean Snyder draws up something, and we see some a little wiggle, a little shake. Gary Bryant goes to the house. And I think that a second year in this offense, there's going to be so much attention paid to those wide receivers that now Keenan Kristen, you feel more comfortable with him as a pass protector as well. He gets, uh, you know, spread out the defense for those receivers. Keenan Kristen finds a gap. He's fast, and he's gone. He makes fast people look not fast, as as the famous longest yard quote would say. Moving on, Talano Hufunga leads the team in tackles. Ooh, that's a tough one. Uh, we're actually going to get into this later on our picks, so I'm not going to say if it's if I believe he's going to be the guy or not necessarily. I'm going to say that it is a cold prediction because he's one of like two players that you know, you're expecting to be up there. So he was USC's second leading tackler in 2019. It would be a problem if your safety is your leading tackler this season, correct? You sound like the feet. You sound like the board. Or, but then Orlando like stresses that the safeties are very important in this defense. So, uh, cold. Not taking it. Okay. Palaie Nyoteote matches his career tackle for a loss numbers. So that's, that's including sacks. So that's 9.5. That's a, that's a good, strong number there in a, in a six- to seven-game season. But I'm going to go bold. I think he's doing it. I'm, I'm, I'm buying into the hype. I bought, bought the stock. It was low. I'm buying low, and I'll sell high. Yeah, you might as well go all in on EA with the hype and the new defense and the Todd Orlando connection. Bold. I'm going with it. Orlando likes to blitz that rover a lot, so I feel like he's going to have a lot of opportunities to get in the backfield. So I like that one. And finally, AVT finishes as the number one tackle in the Pac-12 and an All-American uh, honor. Again, that doesn't have to be first team, but it's an All-American honor. I just, I'm so con- confused or unsure about the All-American process this season and how it's going to play out with the different number of games. And I'm going to go cold here. I think Foster Sorrell from Stanford, I think he finally takes that jump. He was so dominant in high school um, that I, I've been expecting him to be a dominant offense lineman at the college level, too. It hasn't happened yet. I think maybe he takes the leap this year, and I'm going to take him over AVT making the move out to, to tackle when he's a, you know, a guard by trade. Now, I'm sorry if you already clarified this. When you say number one tackle or in the Pac-12, is this like PFF grades or based on honors? Uh, it can be based on honors or and PFF grades to help. Sell it however you want, Keely. I'm going to say <laughs> bold in the sense that I agree because he graded out very well as a guard. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he's going to grade out well as a tackle as well. You mean you're going to go out on my limb? Your limb, yes. I'm on your branch you're, you're, right now. You're a little you know, Keely chipmunk out on my branch right now. Sure. I. That's a Yes. That's a weird. Don't cut that out. Yep. Yep. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and those are my 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 fourth annual bold predictions. Wow! Congrats, Chris. I almost I almost put Trevino oh, colon bold predictions. Ooh, oh. maybe that's year five. Maybe that's year five. Yeah, that clout has to build up a little bit. <laughs> now, moving on to the most important series that is finally coming to an end on Friday. It, it is the most important series, the most important one ever. <laughs> Did I say it that way? Yeah, that's what well, it sounds like. Well, I mean, it, it's called the most important list. We ranked USC's most important 30 players to have a successful 2020 season. I guess, guys, the 1 through 10, Shotgun, run down who we had and your thoughts and how it evolved. So at number 10, we had uh, Brett Elon. We had number 9, we had Drake Jackson. 8, Isaiah Polamau. 7, Marlon Tui-Pelotu. 6 was an interesting one because we had Jake Tefele. We should reiterate that we started this list in May. It took a long hiatus when we didn't know the season was going to come back. So Tefelia was there. Uh, number five, Talano Hufunga. Number four, Jalen McKenzie. Number three, Palia Naitiote. Number two, Elijah Vera Tucker. And number one is undoubtedly Keaton Slovis, especially with the depth concerns at quarterback. 
Uh, so one of the things we looked at was the depth, uh, you know, talking about Keaton Slovis, and that's one of the reasons why you see a couple of the offensive linemen. I had them a little bit higher. We debated, went back and forth. I had Jalen McKenzie as high as number three on my list. We ended up with him at four, and that's one that people kind of looked at and said, Jalen McKenzie, you know, he may not be the, the number four most talented player on this team, but he's going to be the number four most important player on this team. And that's how we looked at this list, going down the list and seeing, you know, looking at depth concerns, looking at who's the backup behind them, looking at how how important they will be to other players around them. And that's why the offensive line played such a big role because you got to keep Keaton Slovis healthy this year with only one other scholarship quarterback on the roster. You just can't afford, you know, especially with such a short season, you can't afford a quarterback losing multiple weeks um, like we saw in the past. USC had five Five times last year, the quarterback got knocked out of the game. So they got to do a better job with that. And it starts the offensive line. So the offensive linemen all got a little bit of a bump in my mind. And then we debated that back and forth. And, you know, where do some of these defenders fit in this defense? That was some question marks as well. But that was our top 10. That finishes up our list of top 30 for the season. Uh, you can go, you can check out each of those that we, we posted. And then at the bottom, you can click through to any of the top 30 um, and the Keaton Slovis one should be coming out around the same time. If it's not already out at, when this podcast goes up, it'll be out shortly. Everyone knows that Keaton Slovis was going to be number one. So we're, we're not, uh, there's no big cliffhanger there to, to, to keep you guys from, from finding out. But that's the list, and that's how we finished up our most important. Now the question is, would we have ranked those guys differently now versus when we did in May? Obviously, Jay Tefeli is a big one. You know, we would not have had him in the list because he's not going to be with the team. So uh, Chris did a good job of kind of revert, you know, redirecting that one and saying the guys that have to step up for Jay Tefeli. Now, we probably still wouldn't have had them as high as number six, even as a collective group. But, uh, you know, we, we did try to fill that one in, even though we had our list already in place. So you guys looking at the list now, is there any big mistake that we made or somebody who you see and you say, we should have put that guy up higher, or maybe he's just not as important as we thought uh, going into the season. Shotgun, I just want to say that was a beautiful, eloquent summarization of this whole thing. That was very well done. I, <laughs> I just, I just, I just want to. I'm clapping my hands. Doing golf little, claps little, for little everyone. Golf claps. Um, yeah, I mean, just looking at it, it's still weird to me that Drake London is a below Gary Bryant. Uh, that's still a little bit uh, weird to me. Um, I probably would argue now, knowing what we know, I would probably argue maybe for Andrew Voorhees to be in the top 10, just because his placement was based on his health. Will he or won't he play? And now it seems like he's back. He's good. Putting him on that left side at left guard, uh, AVT spot, to really solidify Keaton's back uh, blind side with the most experience and arguably your best talent there. So I think he's going to be very key there. So I would probably maybe argue for him to maybe be in that 10th spot over Nilon. Yeah, I completely agree. I think Andrew Voorhees is one that, you know, a lot of question marks about his health coming in. We didn't see him in the one spring practice, so we didn't know. There were some summer workouts. He still wasn't available. Just question marks leading into the fall camp. Now, obviously, this is before when we made the list, but we had questions, didn't know where he was going to fit in, what position. But I think now you see him, and he solidified the left guard spot. And beside Elijah Bear Tucker, I think you feel comfortable that you have another great pairing on the left side to protect the backside. Last year was AVT and Austin Jackson. I think a lot of people forgot that Andrew Voorhees is a guy with a ton of experience. So adding him beside Elijah Bear Tucker, I think is going to solidify that left side for USC and give them uh, confidence in that left side. They can run the ball that side in particular. Um, so I would have probably bumped him up a little bit more now knowing what we we know now. Uh, one guy that I definitely is not on our list, didn't make our list, but after hearing all the coaches talk about him and, you know, the the way that, um, you know, that Mike Jinks in particular spoke of uh, the explosiveness returning for Stephen Carr, I think he would be on our list now versus maybe some of the other running backs. We might have pushed some of the other running backs down a little bit to, to move him up into the list. Um, so I think he's a guy, is the one guy that's not on our list that I think would be, especially you lose Jay Tefele, you get one more position in there for sure. I think that, that Stephen Carr makes the list. I just cross-checked our initial list. I was the only one who had Stephen Carr on my list, so I had a little bit of premonition. I knew the vertical would increase. I, I had a dream about it. You also had hey, but- Titan on your list, so I think I can't <laughs> 
Definitely, when you look at the running backs position, I think Stephen Carr, now knowing what we know, he, his value increases because Marquis Stepp still has not been, you know, fully healthy since coming off the ankle injury he suffered last year. You know, he got healthy and then back to different injuries from foot sprain to turf toe to whatever it may be. Um, but also with Vi having a hamstring issue and being slow, I think Stephen Carr's value has definitely risen from when we made this for ranking initially in May versus now at the end of fall camp. So I took notes while we were debating our list to make it one joint list, which actually ended up coming in handy in the sense that we had no idea we would be talking about this in November. Um, but one, two notes I had that stick out to me were apparently we had a fierce debate about the final three, four, five ranking. And then the note I made was shotgun could argue for Jalen McKenzie for number two, Chris breaks down. So <laughs> apparently at that point we were kind of at our end point. And this was a little hotly debated. Yeah, this was a very fierce debate with the Jalen McKenzie uh, uh, issue. Not problem, but the whole Jalen McKenzie question. I do agree that he is should be in the top 10. His importance at that right tackle spot. But Shotgun talked me and they put him in there in that top five. And you can read his article about his argument for it. This is a very, this is probably the most heated discussion we had on the entire list. And, and look, we all, all three of us had Keaton Slovis number one, Elijah Vera Tucker number two, Elijah Vera Tucker taking over that left tackle spot. But I, you know, at that point, I said I could even make the argument for Jalen McKenzie as high as number two because I think you know what you're going to get with Elijah Vera Tucker. You feel confident that, hey, wherever we put him at, left guard, left tackle, he's going to solidify that spot. But Jalen McKenzie, if you could get that boost, that, that next step in his game, then he becomes so important to this offensive line, but also just giving that consistency across the offensive line that I think that he could be, you know, so important to this team if he boosts his game and takes it to another level. And that's something we're going to have to wait and see because we don't get to watch fall camp, so we don't know exactly where he's at. He's won that right tackle spot from all uh, from all reports and all intents and purposes. Um, so now, can he go out and perform? Or are you going to see speed rushers coming off the edge and that being an issue? Does USC have to put the tight end in there to help out? I think those are questions that we don't know. But if he takes his game to another level, I think that raises the entire offense that much more. I think he's the one guy on the offense where if he does that, if he takes his game to the next level, I think it raises the entire offense that much more besides maybe Keaton Slovis, who we think is going to, you know, we've heard grow, glowing reports already, and we think he can. he's the only other guy that can really boost the offense as much, in my opinion, as Jalen McKenzie with a, you know, with a big boost in his game individually. And just to add on to that, just I don't think we talked about this when we were making the list as much, but just the importance of him being – potentially the left tackle replacement if AVT were to go down at some point because, you know, there's a lot of freshmen on the two deep, but I don't think they're going to go and throw a freshman out there to protect their most valuable asset in Keaton Slovis. I think you're going to shift the line, and I think Jalen would be the first guy up to possibly play that left tackle spot. Liam Jimmons as well is in that conversation, uh, but I think that his importance also uh, is boosted there as possibly being uh, the left tackle replacement. Yeah, and, and uh, Clay Helton has said he is cross-trained at left tackle and right tackle, uh, whereas you know my, my thought coming into to camp or even after last season, Liam Jimmons could be a guy. But when I talked to Tim Drevno, he said, hey, we don't want to move him from the left side, I mean, from the right side to the left side because you're changing your stance and changing the way you have to drop and doing some different things. So with him being a little bit green as an offensive lineman, just not having played that position for more than a, basically a year and a half, uh, they didn't want to make that switch, so I think they feel more comfortable with uh, Jalen McKenzie and the extra experience that he has. And to your original point, Shotgun, I think the case you made for Jalen McKenzie was kind of the crux of where we had the most arguments because it wasn't like who's the most talented, it was who's the most important, which includes their potential ceiling, which sometimes was hard for people to get on board with versus like what you've seen. And so I think for your Jalen McKenzie argument, it really relied on hey, him taking the next level versus what we've seen so far. So, Yeah, and I, th I think that plays out in the 3-4-5 debate that we had because the other guys that are in that are Pali and Itiote and Talano Hufunga. Hufunga has obviously shown more 
than any other defender, I think you could say. So Pagliaccio is the potential, the expectation. And again, similar to McKenzie, if he takes his game to the next level or takes it to the level that we think he is capable of, then I think your defense becomes that much better. Whereas Talanoa, you know, he's played great whenever he's been in there and been healthy. So I think that, the, the, you know, how much can he raise his ceiling? There, there's a bigger divide between what he's already shown um, or a smaller divide between what Talanoa Hufunga has already shown versus what Pallia Naitiote has shown and what could be. And so if he takes that game to the next level and, you know, the effusive praise that, uh, that Clay Helton has heaped on him, you, you hope that it happens just for his sake and the fact that we want to see guys play to their full potential. So that's why he was a little bit higher on my list as well. And I think we also at this point would maybe have a discussion about Marlon being in the top five. I know it's just because Jay is gone and he's the rock now for that line. You, you're, you're losing a lot of talent just by taking Jay off. And Marlon is the clear cut guy now, instead of there being, you know, two guys you can play with there. So, and then you need a bunch of guys to step up around him. So I think his importance there, if he goes down, you're a little bit of a trouble with two five-star guys now being gone from that front. Great point, Chris. I, I think that he is, you know, he's got to be the guy. He needs to, he needs to, you know, move his game forward. and He becomes even more valuable without Jay there beside him. Alrighty, I'm moving us on to our next segment because we're running a tad long. Uh, this is going to be very quick, gentlemen. You just got to give me your rapid-fire gut take on these predictions, these superlatives. Chris already looks like he wants to fight me on this. Maybe just a sentence to prove your point, but other than that, it's going to be rapid-fire. So our superlatives and season predictions, who's your MVP, gentlemen? Keaton Slovis, because he's the star of this team. Are we drafting here? Do I have to pick someone else, or are we just going with with our own picks? Drafting, make it interesting. Oh man, that makes it that makes it a lot more more difficult because Keaton is the clear cut MVP on this team. Uh, but I think you look on the defensive side, and I'm going to go with Talano Hufunga, a guy that Clay Helton said today was uh, you know has been making pick six and creating turnovers, and that's something you need to see from this defense. So I'm going to go Hufunga. I just realized that drafting makes it very hard for me. <laughs> so maybe that was the wrong call. But um, I'm going to say... AVT. AVT. I was debating between EA, Go Bold, or AVT. Uh, I'll say EA. I'm buying that hype just for the sake of it. How about that? Keely, you don't always have to go last if you want to draft first every true. once in a while. You That's can. true. And I will for this next one. Newcomer who plays the most. And I'm going to go with Brew McCoy. I'm going to go with Raylan Goforth just so I can steal it from Chris before he can get it in. I'm going to go with, at that point, this is just any newcomer that didn't play last year? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I would go Gary Bryant then. I know that's a tough that's a tough battle with Brew possibly being that fourth wide receiver, but I, Gary's so unique. If he's healthy, I think they're going to find a way to get him the ball and special teams, so I'm going with Gary. Also, not a ton of newcomers uh, this year, uh, true. true freshmen and just guys who didn't play much last year. Last to draft, but you had a good explanation. Well done, Chris. Always prepared. Now, this I'm next one. I'm a prediction one, master, baby. This next one was for you guys as a token of my appreciation. Since you love this phrase, Shotgun's mentioned it, like, I think three times this week on Instant Analysis. Best juice check. Don't even know what that means. I just want to say that I've been using the term juice to describe my energy level, you know, just low juice, high juice, whatever, for years now. So I'm glad that the USC coaching staff is catching up with me. Uh, but the best juice check this year is going to come from Vic Soto. You know, he's going to be on the sideline. You just see him just, you know, just raging with energy and getting everyone around him hyped up from his, his position group, but also everyone else around him. So I'm going to go with Vic Soto. I'm going to go with Craig Nivar just because people seem to always bring him up that, that guy gets after it. That guy loves the run and hit philosophy. He he eats, breathes, sleeps it. So I'm going Craig Nivar, the the crazy Texan. I uh, see. I was going to take Nivar because Dante Williams said that Nivar makes him look like Doctor Phil in comparison, and both of them <laughs> said that they have energy. So if you look like Doctor Phil, wow, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, I'm going to say, out of left field, Stanley Tauafu. He brings the. He's had the best energy in a season when you need the energy. I've always seen him in the back of my highlights, freaking out on the sideline. 
Juice check. Stanley T. How about that? And look at that. Just pulling it out from, from out of left field. I like it. Uh, Graham Harrow, don't forget about him. You know, he's, he's uh, constantly on his energy drink game, so he might bring yeah. some energy drink juice with him. Next up, sack leader. Last season, sack leader was Drake Jackson at 5.5. I'm going to stick with Drake. Uh, I know there's a lot of question marks about his Playing this new position, he only has about a week of full practice doing it, but that guy's a talented Ed Rusher, edge rusher, so I think he's the best rusher on the team. I got to go with him. I'm going to say Talanoa Hufunga. Give me those safety blitzes. And he was, I believe, the next guy who's still on the roster from last year, so there you go. Uh, I I want I went last because I expected someone to take Hunter Eccles. Uh, you know I, I think that he can be the guy. But the guy I was going to save for last was, is Greg Johnson. He actually is, was the most efficient pass rusher that USC had last year. I think he rushed like 14 times and had like four pressures. Uh, he had two sacks on that, including one in the in the Holiday Bowl. So coming off the edge, you know, using him, and now that he's in that safety, that three-spoke safety group, rather than playing a true nickelback spot, I think you see more opportunities for him to be a pass rusher, and he's physical enough to get through the line of scrimmage, take on a block, and still get to the quarterback. Receiving leader. Last year, it was obviously Mr. Michael Pittman. I'm taking Amon Ross St. Brown before anybody else can. Of, of course you did that on the round I can pick first, so... Appreciate that. There's no, there's no set rounds here. We're not doing a snake draft. Oh my goodness! No, I claim, I hereby proclaim, Amara St. Brown as the receiving leader. The good thing is there are plenty of options here. You know, I, I think if you're going to take him, then I'll take Tyler Vaughn's, and he might be the least heralded player this fall camp. You just not hearing much about him. We know he's going to go put up consistent numbers and be a a reliable target for Keaton Slovis, but you haven't really heard much about him this fall camp. So maybe he takes that with a little chip on his shoulder and goes out and try to prove, prove everybody wrong by putting up uh, the best numbers on the team. He's undervalued and you should buy that stock. If you have the chance, I will go with Drake London just because I am backing the touchdown. I know in my heart, I know it's going to be Amon Ra. He's going to eat up everything. But Drake London does have a, a chance to to challenge him just because of that connection he and Keaton had at the end of the year and, you know, keep working that uh, with the big wide receiver. He's the big guy like Pitt was, so there's, there's, some, uh, there's some advantages there. I don't know if there's any Tyler Vaughn stock left from uh, when he first came on the scene from Ryan Abraham buying all of it all the time. It's just gone. There's none left. Sorry, Chris. You'd have to you'd have to buy some from Ryan Abraham, and it, his uh, value is very high there. I will say though, Ryan has put a ton of stock into Chase Garber, so maybe maybe he had to move around assets a little bit. So who knows? <laughs> Moving on to rush leader, last year was Vivai Malapai. You know, this can be you can make arguments for all you know for the four guys there. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Stephen Carr. A lot of a lot of positive things. Um, you know, I, I made the infamous now prediction before his freshman year that by his junior year he'd be a heisman finalist obviously that did not happen the back injury sapped him uh, of the explosiveness but it sounds like the explosiveness is back i want to buy into the hype but i need to see it with my own eyes but i think he can still be the leading rusher because they're going to split these carries up pretty evenly i like keenan Kristen. I know that's a Whoa. deep one there. I don't. I just don't know how much Marquise will play early, just trying to get that foot healthy, that ankle healthy. So, I I love the potential of Marquise if he's fully healthy, and that's who I would pick. But I gotta make mix it up a little bit. I'm going with Keenan, bust a couple big runs. That's gonna help his cause, even if he's getting a little bit less carries. I'm breaking the rules, and I'm gonna say Stephen Carr because, and this is solely because I just don't trust the health updates or the health recovery. Of the running backs, I am so skeptical about that, and I have been for a while, so I'm not going to break that trend. I'm taking Stephen Carr, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> another, again, Vavai Malpea, another undervalued guy. I mean, he led the team last year and missed half the season. No, I just I think it speaks more to the fact that I just think he's going to stay with that lingering injury. That's also I'm not saying I'm not saying just you, Keely. I think that like Tyler Vaughn, he's being undervalued this season. People just kind of take for granted what the what he brings to the team as a veteran guy that just puts up uh, consistent numbers. May not be super explosive, but consistent. Yeah, he's that solid guy, and sometimes people don't really uh, get excited about vanilla, if that makes sense. 
Moving on to leading tackler last year, it was John Houston. So obviously that's not going to happen again this season. Chrissy T, what are you thinking? Well, I picked Talanoa Hufunga in my predictions, but I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to go Raylan Goforth. Let's just throw it out there. That is really mixing it up, especially after you've made a bold prediction. So I'm going with Pali and Itiote, which is why that your Talanoa pick was cold. I think that uh, you know they're going to ask him to do a lot in this defense, and hopefully we see that next step in his game of development. So does that mean I can still take Talanoa? Sure. I'll take Talanoa Hufunga then. How about that? Watch out for Isaiah Polamau. Depending on how sure. they use these safeties, he might be a guy that, that sneaks up that list as well. This is a fun one. Next up, best celebration. Who you got? I'm going to throw an OG pick six. If he gets a pick six, he's going to do something crazy. That was my exact yeah, pick. Yeah. So. In your face, shotgun. In your face, shotgun. You let him go <laughs> first, shotgun. If you had it, then yeah, you should have yeah, yeah. had it. Yeah, you had it. You would have had it. <laughs> you would have had it. Put it on the shirt. I, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely going to be a 15-yard penalty thrown if he gets a pick six. Uh, I just don't think that, that you can contain that excitement within him. Um, since you took that, I'm going to let Keeley go. I'm going to think mine over for just a second. Keeley, what's yours? I got an idea, but I need to I need to mull this over oh. because I, I, was so, I was sold on OG pick six for sure. Brandon Peely, scoop and score, backflip in the end zone. I went to just predicting what's going to happen, not even <laughs> just saying who could have it. Exactly. That's because exactly. he can't. He can't do that, so I'm going to predict that. I don't think he can do it with pads on, though. Drake Jackson might be able to still do it with pads on, especially slim down. Yeah, I was going to say that less weight. All right, best celebration, guys. You're all wrong. What's going to happen? Someone's getting the ball knocked loose. Jalen McKenzie is picking it up and rumbling in for a touchdown, and it's going to be epic. You know, he already he got a chance last year on a kickoff to to return the kick. He's getting his opportunity. He's going to scoop and score on the offensive side. Jalen McKenzie scores and goes crazy. You love to see a big man score because then you get a big man dance. Damn right. True. So true. Highest PFF score. Last year for USC, it was Michael Pittman with 81.2. So looking at the PFF scores, they start at 60. That's your, you know, your average play is a 60. And then you go up or down based on every play. You know, you get a positive, a negative. You can get a really good on a play. You can get a really bad on a play. And then they go from there each play. And that's how you kind of build the grade from there. So, you know, guys who don't play a lot, you know, their scores may, you may look and say, oh, he's got a 64 grade. But that what that's saying is that he's just slightly above average there. That's where the starting point is. So if you see, you know, some DBs, I, I think Chris Stills and Elijah Griffins weren't overwhelming last year, but it just says that they're a little bit above average, but not great. And when you once you get above 80 to 85, that's where you start that's where you start getting the really good grades. And then anything above 85 or anything above 90. Anything above 90 is great. And there's it's pretty rare, actually, for guys to have full season grades in college that are above 90. Um, you know, there's just not a ton of players that reach up there. That's your your legit top 15 picks in the NFL draft. Keely, you had to know asking that was going to drain a bunch of our time. <laughs> Keaton Slovis, that's it. He's going to be in the 80s. I'm going to say Elijah Vera Tucker. How about that? Elijah Vera Tucker is a very good pick, and I was looking at that. Should point out. Yeah, Michael Pittman was the number one. The top five grades last year were on the offensive side. Let's see if Todd Orlando's defense does something and pushes one of those defenders to the top. I think a guy like Isaiah Polamau, undervalued a little bit, but puts up some, can put up some really good grades because of him being able to show his range and do some different things that don't always show up uh, in the highlight package, but do grade out well uh, overall. I think Isaiah Polmau might end up with, with a top grade. Interesting. You got your salesman voice on for that one. So maybe uh, you guys have already taken the top two choices. So, <laughs> Hey, whatever works for you. Final one, gentlemen, season record. How are you expecting 2020 to go? And this one's interesting because you might have to factor in some, Schedule changes, some weird oddities. 2020 is always odd. Maybe there's a scheduled asteroid for week four and things will have to be uh, re rescheduled. You never know. Are you saying we can't pick the same record? Oh, true. That's okay. No, this one you can have your own stance. Uh, five and one. I think it's five and one. one. Oh, I, I thought you meant regular season. So six and one. 
So you say they go five and one in the regular season, win the South, but win the Pac-12. Yes. So Chris thinks they're losing this week and then winning out. I think that's what you're saying there. I'm gonna go six and one. I think they go undefeated, and maybe losing the Pac-12 championship. Just to be different, I'm gonna say six and one, losing against Utah, winning in the Pac-12 championship. How about that? Surprising, no nine and O's in there. No national championship winners. <laughs> we're we're, we're not that it. bold. Yeah. We're not that bold. We're cold. We're cold, Mr. Gunn. All right, Chris, we're going to do take it or leave it and then send us on out with game predictions. What do you got for us this week? All right, I got Tally, the nickname Tally debut this week for Talano Hufunga from Todd Orlando. Shotgun and I gave our thoughts on this on instant, so we're ahead of you, Chris. Taking it. I, I I told the shotgun this. I'm leaving it. Sounds like a horse name. Okay. Uh, Keaton Slovis as the number one pick in 2022, predicted by a PFF analyst uh, yesterday. I'm leaving it just because so much can change in two years. You see the quarterback rankings and everything else that, that change year over year. I don't think he's elite status like Trevor Lawrence. Like Trevor Lawrence two years ago, you knew he was going to be the number one pick. But I don't know if Slovis is there. I'm leaving it. I think it did its job as a article. It got the engagement numbers up, but I can't tell if it's accurate at this point this far away. Okay. Uh, my team captain picks that will come out Friday, Keaton Slovis, Tally, Tyler Vons, Marlon Tui Pelotu with a dark horse of Elijah Vera Tucker. So basically Keaton needs a nickname because everybody else on that list has nicknames. Um, so I'm going to go take it. I'm going to go take it. Also, a little Keely tidbit throwing in take it or leave it. Talking to an offensive lineman last week, he was saying that there's a lot more offensive leaders this season, he feels like, rather than previous seasons, which is something here on the Family Feud podcast we have talked about a lot. The fact that the defense had a ton of leadership, and uh, Liam Jimmons was saying that he feels like a lot of guys have stepped up on the offensive side of the ball. So there you go. Interesting. Game predictions. How do y'all think this one is going to go? This is now the third time I've asked Shotgun this. Hopefully it's the <laughs> third time he changes his score. Chris Trevino, what are you predicting for Saturday? 38-24. I think it's a back and forth. Both the new offense for Arizona State, new defense are a little wobbly to start, and then USC's defense kind of figures it out at the end and USC's offense can pull away uh, a little bit. So that's my prediction. 38-24. Interesting. USC covering. Oh, don't you know, don't you know, my, under, that's my mistake. Yeah. Don't you know, under Clay Helton, you never take USC to cover, even if they're going to win, they, they won't cover. So uh, my prediction is that 28-24, I lowered my score earlier um, because I think that with the potential of rain and wet balls, I think that you're going to you're gonna see the, the teams just slow the pace down a little bit. So I'm going to go 28-24. I think it'll be close. I think the ASU covers, but USC wins. I think I had a blowout for USC on Tunnel Vision. That was something where I, like, when I was in the shower this morning, and I was like, I don't know if I feel that. Because my whole score prediction is just my gut. Nothing about logic data, the line, <laughs> nothing. It's my gut, and then I'm going to stick to it. I'm going to update my score to 35-21. How about that, USC? Taking away a touchdown. That's the, the rain factor. The Keeley score determination, rain deducts one touchdown. Also, just remember, it's Pac-12 after dawn. You never know. Craziness can happen. Uh, you know, It could be a jail Mary situation. Which team wins it on a jail Mary? Who knows? Well, technically, they're all Pac-12 after dawn. No, this is the Pac-12 after dawn. True. When does Didn't dawn hear, ever stop? Didn't you hear Clay Helton just lovingly admire the Coliseum at, at sunset or at sunrise this week? You know, just talking about how beautiful it was. This is Pac-12 after dawn. Find a man who talks about you the way Clay Helton talks about the Coliseum at dawn. You ain't lying, Keely. You ain't lying. You got to <laughs> find you one. <laughs> On that note, no, I'm just kidding. The thing is, I said on Tunnel Vision, between the rain, 2020, and just the shenanigans between USC and ASU, I think this is just going to be weird, and it's going to be like 14, 17. Rain is pouring down. Chase McGrath kicks that baby up for uh, first one of the season. 
You never know. It could get weird, especially with, uh, you know, so much familiarity with the players and the recruits on both sides with Chris Hawkins, Prentice Gill and stuff on the other side, Antonio Pierce having coach players um, in the Southern California area. It, it's, it could get really weird and that'd be great. You know, for to open the Pac-12 season, we might as well get weird, baby. It's 2020. Oh no. What did we just summon? I'm very, I'm very concerned. All righty. But like we said, excited to get back uh, to the Coliseum, cover some football that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Family Feud. We're going to have Stock Up, Stock Down next week. We'll have a game to talk about. Very excited. That's Shotgun. That's Chris. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.